Hello and welcome to Songs for the Struggling Artist, the blogcast. This is episode 299. I find that a very satisfying number. I'm not sure why. Welcome. My name is Emily Rainbow Davis. Thank you for listening. Today's blog was inspired by a previous blog, or rather by a conversation around a previous blog. So one blog can lead to another blog, as long as you all are involved, you lovely people. So thank you for continuing to give me stuff to think about. So I'll read it to you, and then I'll tell you some stuff after. Here it is. It is called The Theater Theater Problem and The Intermission. If it's not entirely obvious, I'm a theater person. T-H-E-A-T-R-E. I am not a theater person. T-H-E-A-T-E-R. Not really. This is partly a silly distinction of spelling and partly a really serious, long-standing American problem. And before I go any further with this, let me acknowledge that I now think I'm on the wrong side of this divide. It's a side I've fought for, one that I reinforce every time I spell my company's name or website or email address, and one I somehow cannot seem to let go, no matter how on the wrong side of it I am. I started to think about this when a European friend asked me what we call the break or pause in a performance. I'd been thinking about all the ways that theaters are set up to make people feel like outsiders when they arrive. And the simple fact that we call this break an intermission suddenly struck me as yet another way our theaters create this rarefied atmosphere. We don't take a break. No, no, we take an intermission. So many things about going to the theater are built to suggest that it is for the elites. We'll have new groundlings here, please and thank you. This is why we have velvet ropes. And this is not an accident. That's the thing that hit me full force when thinking about our intermissions. Just what a purposeful positioning all this is. American theater was designed this way, and we've been fighting about it for some time. The distinction between theater, R-E, and theater, E-R, is not, as I've heard some people posit, that one is the art and the other the building. The distinction is mostly just a matter of preference. Technically, T-H-E-A-T-E-R is the American spelling, and T-H-E-A-T-R-E is the European spelling. Every spell check agrees. But a lot of us in the theater just prefer this R-E version. We couldn't tell you why, necessarily. I've heard folks say they feel theater, E-R, must be pronounced theater, and so theater wins the day. In my case, I guess it just looks better to me. I like it. It connects me to Europe. Given how embarrassing we Americans can be, that's a nice benefit. 
And in my personal case, my aesthetic alignment tends to side with Europe, so it just sort of stacked up in those early days when I was picking a side. Theater, R-E, just sounded artier somehow. Theater, E-R, is where they do that trashy stuff. Or something. And I now know that this is some elitist malarkey. This stacks up with the velvet ropes and the intermissions and the donor circles and the patrons boxes and all the things that suggest this art is not for poor people. Now, we imagine this was an accident, but history suggests it was very much on purpose. If someone had taught me this history in my youth, I'd probably be a theater T-H-E-A-T-E-R person instead of the theater, T-H-E-A-T-R-E person that I am. I learned from James Shapiro's book, Shakespeare in a Divided America, that in the first bit of the 19th century, there had been multiple riots at theaters. Theaters were one of the few places that the rich and poor encountered each other. And as income inequality was getting worse and worse, they clashed about it often. The poor had power in numbers, and they used those numbers in theater audiences. Theaters were one of our most truly democratic spaces in those days. Imagine. Then in 1849, the aristocrats of New York City got tired of being shouted at and so bought themselves an opera house and designed it in such a way so as to welcome the elites and keep the poor away. They invented a dress code that featured things like dress coats, white cravats, and kid gloves. They transformed the pit, which once held the cheaper seats, standing area for the poor, right up front, into the orchestra. They numbered the seats so they could assign them how they liked. They covered the seats in red damask and put the cheap seats upstairs through their own separate entrance. They raised the prices. In 1849, this was all new. And the people did not like it. It came to a head in 1849 when a feud between a British and an American Shakespearean culminated with the British actor performing Macbeth at this contentious elitist opera house and the American actor performing the same role across the street. Neither side came off well in this conflict. The Brit aligned with the elite, even though his own politics were more progressive, and the American supporters aligned with anti-immigrant racist ideology, and both actors were part of a working creative class, so the spark of this thing was not as simple as a class riot. But there was an infiltration of the opera house, and it got shouty in there. The next night, law enforcement was standing by for violence, and violence arrived. At first, it was just the building that suffered, with broken windows and such. Then the militia started shooting protesters and bystanders, and killed 20 of them before the night was through. What strikes me about this now is how this battle is still simmering in the soul of American theater. So many of the adaptations that were designed to keep out the riffraff have remained. The elites may have ultimately lost that opera house, but their innovations to shift the audience away from democracy stayed. 
there aren't riots in theater anymore, not because we've worked out our class issues, but because the elites adjusted the theaters so that they were really only talking to themselves. What blows my mind about it all is how intentional it was at the time, and how something that was an intentional tool to keep the poor out of theaters just happens unconsciously. Or at least I hope it's unconscious. I have to hope that all the education programs and diversity initiatives are an attempt to remedy the bias and are not just a cynical grab for grant money and foundation funds. I suppose it could be both. A desire to give to poor children while simultaneously creating conditions to keep their parents from ever coming in to see a show. Those riots from 1849 are deep in our theater history's bones. And so are the conditions that helped create them. We are still in this clash. And by aligning myself with the European spelling for theater, I am, unintentionally, of course, aligning myself with the elite. In much the same way that William McReady didn't necessarily mean to align himself with the elite when he chose to perform at the new opera house... I have connected myself to the privileged. The theater is for red velvet ropes and lush curtains. It is for orderly seat assignments and respectful silence. I'm not going to lie. I do like some of those things. But I respect and admire the theater which we lost. The one where an American Shakespearean like Edwin Forrest would hiss a performance he did not care for. He was an actor who hoped to, quote, bring the American stage within the influence of a progressive movement, unquote. I wish he'd managed it. Anyway, according to Etymology Online, intermission began to be used for the pause at performances around 1854. Notice anything about that timing? The rich set about trying to push the poor out of theaters in 1849. Their innovations in that arena began taking hold elsewhere, and just five years later, this long French word is what we call a break, and I insist on calling it all theater. T-H-E-A-T-R-E. So I put this one out a month ago to the day, actually, March 11th. And since then, there have been multiple Twitter conversations. Can we call them conversations on Twitter? I don't know. About the distinction between the ER and the RE. And everyone is all a flutter, as usual. Uh, Of course, it did not, it's not me. I didn't cause it. It's just... It's just a, a bubbling up that happens, I think, periodically. And, uh, you know, I, 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 w- I would like to contribute to that conversation, but it just, you know, watching people declare over and over again that it is the, the art versus the building. And I was like, well, it isn't, actually. <laughs> That's not what it's about. It's very sweet, though, that that belief has taken hold. I think it's like something... I don't know where, I wonder where that came from. I think it's probably someone trying to explain it and just like made it up and thought, oh, that makes sense. Um, yeah, but there's no evidence for it whatsoever. I, th- I think 
you know, I think a lot of it too comes from the the desire to insist on some art and and the theater can really feel like an artless place. And so we think if we spell it differently, if it's an art that makes it artier, more full of art and not just an entertainment, um, it's, I think it's a heartfelt response to a problem that we're not really talking about. Um, it's not, it's not, it's not meaningless, you know? (laughs) Oh boy. Anyway, I was stunned to learn that about intermission. 1854 is when we started. Literally a handful of years after the sort of first movement to shut the poor people out of theaters. And it worked. Good job, elites. I would not like to applaud you. Thank you. Anyway, I looked up songs about intermissions, and the only one I found was a Sandra Boynton song. And I don't know what this comes from. It features some animals singing a song about an intermission. It's delightful. Uh, Not really coverable, in my estimation. But the song that I realized I should do... I couldn't remember if the song was actually called The Grand Theater or it was just the album. And it is the song. The song is called The Grand Theater or Theater, as he says in the song. And what I find hilarious about it is that it's spelled T-H-E-A-T-R-E. And he pronounces it theater, which is exactly the opposite way that those of us who are snobby about this will sometimes uh, do it. So I I find it like a lovely uh, mix of silliness. The song is not really about the theater, and it only mentions it in the very opening line, but it is called The Grand Theater. So uh, so I think it's the right song for the moment. Uh, it's by the old 97s, by the way. The album is also called The Grand Theater. I think there might be a second one that is The Grand Theater Part 2. Anyway, there's two of them, and they're all pretty darn good. So check them out if you have not yet spent some time with the old 97s. Um, so I'm going to sing that for you in just a minute. Meanwhile, thank you so much for listening, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> I would like a lot. Um, If you'd like to uh, support the podcast, please tell somebody about it. Share it on the social medias. Like, review, subscribe, all the things. If you'd like to support it with your dollars, which is amazing, patreon.com slash Emily R. Davis. There's also Ko-fi and PayPal. All those links are in the show notes. There's also a link there to fundraising for my audio drama, The Dragoning, Season 2. Um, so if you can help with that, that would be also amazing. We're getting close. We are getting close. I'm getting audio. We're going to start working on it. It's happening, but we do need some money still. So here now is the Grand Theater on guitar. One of the things that I love about this song is something that I have found impossible to replicate myself. I don't mean ever replicate when I... I think I mean express instead of, yeah, I don't expect to replicate anything. But, uh, yeah, that that I can't really access myself 
there's something in the in the band's version of the song. It's so driving and it's so like a bank, bank, a bank, bank, a bank. Like you, you know, it's just like it's got like some just like drumming and the guitar is really like insistent. Man, I dig it. Like I, you know. It feels good, but when I try and play like that, it sounds like a garbage. So, uh, so this is a much quieter take on the Grand Theater uh, on guitar. Yeah, it's been. I'm sticking with the guitar these days. I'm not sure. Well, I'd abandoned it for so long. I feel like I owe it to it somehow. Anyway, here is the Grand Theater. In the Grand Theater I look you in the eye and say I'd like to see you later But you don't understand I take you to the Tate Museum There's pictures there but I can't see them If you was there I'd overlook the Roman Colosseum It would not stand a chance We We're not very far away. We're not very. 